I'm Rebecca Rothstein, and along with my co-host, Leanne Daly, we'd like to welcome you to Say It Forward. Each week, we'll be doing one of my favorite things to do, and that's interviewing interesting people with out-of-the-ordinary life stories. They're all people who took a different path in life. Some never imagined the heights they would achieve, and others, well, they turned their childhood dreams into reality. Sitting in with Leanne and I today is one of our executive producers, Kim Garner. So let's begin. Today we'll meet Pamela Gagne. She's one of the few power brokers in Tinseltown who's not a movie star or producer. Pamela is the maitre d' and manager of the Grill on the Alley restaurant in Beverly Hills, a secret power player who wields her influence from the front of the restaurant. But this is not just any restaurant. For entertainment industry people and the top business elite in L.A., the Grill on the Alley is one of a handful of restaurants where the biggest deals go down, not to mention it's one of the most important places to be seen. Oh, you've never heard of a power lunch. Well, the Grill practically invented that lunch, and Pamela runs the place. And reservations aren't that easy to come by unless, of course, Pamela knows your name. So let's rewind to the beginning and find out what it takes to get you on the A-list as we say it forward with Pamela Gagne. (laughs) What happened when I came in, I met everybody and I go, okay, wait, I forgot everybody's name. I had to go back. Do you have a technique? You know, for me, it's a visual thing. So it has to do with seeing a name on a reservation and then seeing the face. And honestly, I appreciate the compliment of being so good at it, but I focus on what I don't do correctly. Mm-hmm. And so the 10 times that I confused a name, I remember as opposed to the 1,000 that I remembered <laughs> because I feel mortified for the person that <laughs> you've met me 20 times and you still don't know my name because that happens. Is that a good old Midwestern thing? I think it's probably, <laughs> I was raised Catholic yeah, and yeah, I was yeah. from the Midwest yeah, yeah. and I tend to focus on those things I could improve for sure. But Let's but talk a little bit about growing up in the Midwest. I'm so glad because I didn't mention this in my little bio to you and I will try not to cry, but oh, you can cry. I was a daddy's girl. You know, I'm nine siblings in my family. And I was the middle child. I have a sister who recently passed two years ago, 14 months older, my brother Don, NPR Don, 14 months younger than me. And then there were three older and three younger. So there's three sections. I don't know that my dad chose me. I chose him as being the daddy's girl because he had all these kids and was a great dad. But my dad owned a diner when I was a baby, a little, and he sold it by the time I was five or six years old. I was obsessed with being at the diner, and largely because it was with my dad, obviously. My mother would take all the kids camping with our cousins and maybe 20 kids going camping an hour away to a lake, and I'd go. My dad had to work. My mother would call my dad on the second day and said, come and get her. She won't stop crying. So my dad would drive all the way, come and pick me up, take me back to the house and the restaurant was a half a block we could walk and I would stay at like a three four year old in the back of the restaurant with the with the waitresses chopping onions sitting on their laps they were like my you know aunts or whatever (laughs) and my dad never ever 
ever complained like, oh my God, you know, he, I had a little cot in the back. I slept at the end of a 12 or 14 hour day. He carried me back to the house, which was a half a block away and tucked me in. It was just me and my dad. And he would go hunting in those days. And I would hide in the closet because my dad was in my, he said, where's Pammy? I have to say goodbye to Pammy. And I'd be crying and hiding in the closet because my dad was leaving. And I think that's why I have this passion about restaurants. Well, there's beautiful memories tied to being with your dad and being without beautiful. all your other siblings. So I would cry for the one waitress. Her name was Geneva, and I called her Ia because I couldn't say her name. Aww. And if my mom and dad weren't letting me do what I wanted to do, I would say, I want my Ia. <laughs> <laughs> and she adored me. We were just like buddies. You know, she's probably 25, and I was a little, you know. She's great. Love that So as you got older, did that inform what you wanted to do that time? By the time I was 14, the only thing I wanted to do was be a flight attendant. In those days, of course, we said stewardess. And I was obsessed with that, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. And I would go, even when I was, like, high school, we'd go on dates, and you could go to airports and go in like you can't do now. You have to go through security. So I remember my boyfriend would say, you know, why don't we go to the airport on a date? Because it's a small town, not that much to do. You go bowling or go to the airport or something but we it's went true. but he I knew remember. that's what I wanted to do so we would go and watch people getting on the gates and kissing saying Leaving goodbye try to see what the stewardesses were doing inside and <laughs> and that was my biggest goal in life which I accomplished by the time I was uh, 25 which is great they and also to be a flight me. attendant instructor I wanted to be a teacher and I did teach a class of flight attendants it was no. fun in those days I wouldn't want to do it now with all the no. And, you know, I was going to say, what do you think about threats? In those days, we had longer layovers. You could go to a city and maybe have a complete day where you could go, you know, shopping in Seattle where there's no sales tax or, you know, go to New York and go to the theater if you wanted to. Nowadays, it's tighter turnarounds. So you get your bare minimum, you know, eight hours rest or whatever. And it used to be where you actually had some time to explore a city. I actually liked the service because I would ask people I worked with that had been flying longer than than I had, and I'd say, "Do you like this job?" Well, I don't like the job, but I like the benefits. But I was—I think I was one of maybe five people I ever met that actually liked. <laughs> I'm a waitress at heart. I could be a diner waitress tomorrow if I had to to support myself. I loved it. I loved you know chicken or beef, you know, slinging out the we called them frisbees in those days. <laughs> what would a couple of things be that give us an example of what you really loved about? that service. I liked that it was different every day. You would meet people, especially as a flight attendant, even well at the grill, it's a local place, but I meet people from everywhere. And there was something about it. It was independent because you were on an airplane. And once you're on that airplane, you're kind of your own bosses. I mean, there's, there's generally a flight attendant that's in charge. And the captain, of course, of the plane is in charge. But you're sort of in this, you don't have the bosses looking over you. And you're just taking care of the guests. And when people would say to me, you know, like a little kid, they say, you know, you're the best studerist I've ever seen, you know, <laughs> studerist instead of because they couldn't say it. They're like five, you know, and just to make people smile and to take care of them. It was just fun. Yeah, it was you, fun. You genuinely enjoy taking care of I love people. service. Yeah. I love service. I, if I'm at a party, my family's parties, I mean, I was always, you know, my parents' anniversary parties or whatever. I was the bartender. Uh-huh. 
And usually one of my 12-year-old nieces or nephews would help me. So you grew up in this robust, lovely, happy family, even though you were daddy's girl. You said already that you and your mom got along fine as well. Did all the siblings get along? Were you all just yeah. like... Yeah, we did. We still do. You know, we've, we are not without our dysfunction, certainly, but we all <laughs> but you're not respected Jewish. each other. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Jewish thing. My brothers and sisters were always very respectful of each other. And, you know, we fought, of course, but we had fun together. We still have fun together. There's no place I'd rather be than with, you know, having my family. Because people say to me, I haven't traveled so much in my life, like going to Europe or partly because I'm single. So there's not necessarily someone I could go with. You know, I'm not one of those that's going to do it by myself. I'm not that brave or inclined to do that. But I go to Michigan every summer because people say, where are you going for Fourth of July? Michigan. Don't you go there every year? Well, that's where my family is. So we try to coordinate my brothers in Minnesota and D.C. and um, Indiana and and nieces. And we pretty much all go home and stay in our hometown for a week together and have a great time. I have two sisters that live in my hometown. And you lost one of your sisters. Yes. She's a year older than me. My parents have been gone for a little while, but everyone else is, you know, healthy. And Being a Midwesterner, is there a value system that's different? I don't want to say that you only find that from people in the Midwest, but I do find that in general, there's a work ethic that is um, instilled in you. You know, there's the never being late. I waited tables during college, and my mom would be looking at her watch, and I didn't have to be there for an hour. And she goes, you're going to be late. I go, it takes 10 minutes to get there. you know. So I'd just leave. I'd be like, okay, I'm going. I'd be there a half hour early. And it was just that not waiting till the last minute to get someplace, give yourself the time. And, and I, I remember when I waitressed in Santa Monica, actually, I worked at Bob Burns Restaurant. He owns the Bedford, Bedford and Burns, Burns now. And I love them. And I remember working there, and a bartender said to me, you're the best waitress I've ever worked with. And I said, yeah, wow, my claim to fame, I'm a great waitress. And he looked at me, he said, you should want to be the best at whatever you do. Yeah. Doesn't matter. And I thought, and I I get goosebumps thinking that because it was so true. Yeah. Because I did love it and I was really good at it. And everybody say, are you an actress? No, I'm really a waitress. (laughs) That's what I like to do. (laughs) And they're always surprised because I was in my 20s and, you know, why are you not an actress? Did any of your family members' kids follow in your footsteps? No, I kind of told most of them, don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I followed in my sister's footsteps. They waited tables. You know, I always took it to the next level. And I always got hired because of my older siblings being so good at what Mm -hmm. they did. They knew that they could count on us, and we were on time. I remember being at Central Michigan University. My sister, Debbie, who passed, um, was a waitress at the best restaurant in town. And when I went in, they said, if you're half as good as your sister, you're in. And I thought, yeah, just wait. I can run circles around her. And she was great. But I mean, I was the one that always took it to the next level because it was my passion. And people say, if you're not happy, maybe with your surroundings in a place or you can't control certain things, you always can control your own standards. And you take your standards with you and you do the best that you can do and be the best that you can be because people recognize that. And I always say when I, I walk around the grill and sometimes and I, I see something and I go, ooh, I wish I hadn't seen that because now I'm going to have to deal with it, like a dirty <laughs> something, you know, the window or the, you know, oh, the bathroom doesn't have enough, something's wrong in the bathroom. You know, I, and I laugh because I said, oh, gosh, I wish I hadn't seen that because I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be the one doing it or getting, I, I mean, obviously everybody helps and I would have someone do something, but. I see everything, probably to the point of making people a little crazy. Doesn't that light bulb look a little bit darker than the other light bulb next to it? We ought to change that. You know, it's going to go out in two days. And it also feels egoless. 
Like you do yeah, it because I, you really want to do it, and it's yeah. not like I want accolades for being no. so great. It's just that this is quietly having the standard of excellence. I'm sure it's quite it's refreshing nice, doing it's, what you're doing. It is, and it, it's really nice when you do hear that because I'm actually shy. You know, I always say I'm one of the loudest shy people you'd ever meet, and it's sort of a pattern in my family. We're sort of shy. We don't necessarily like attention drawn to us, but you also appreciate when someone notices that you're doing something special or that you aren't exactly just floating along. You really are trying to excel Mm -hmm. at everything you do every Mm -hmm. day. I have high standards for my staff. They always know that you're going to do your side work when she's in the building. (laughs) She's going to know that you didn't do it, usually, you know, that kind of thing. too, because in in the place that you rule, and I say that with great respect, because you do rule. And everybody who works for you, you know, they're all professionals. You go to a lot of places, and these are people that are just passing through. That's not the case in the place that you run. You know, everybody there, there may be some that I don't know, but they've been there forever. And they are great at their jobs. And there's such a feeling of camaraderie and joy and happiness and the standards that are set from everything, from the minute you walk in and see you to you sit down, you get served well, the kitchen sends you a delicious thing to eat, and everybody's happy. You know, when you have that kind of experience, I mean, how many places can you go and say, that was my circular experience? Yes. And that's what that's what that's you get. Nice. That's a I nice I want to go back there. We're moving way too far ahead. I want to go back to the beginning. So how did you get from being in the Midwest to getting your job working in the airline industry to being in California when the rest of your family is not? Nobody else in your family is here, right, in L.A.? I have a brother here. My brother is an entertainer, and he was here first. Where does he fall in the hierarchy of the kids? He's the second oldest. He's the oldest boy. I have a sister, then he's the next in line. So did you follow him here? I came because he was here. I didn't exactly follow him here, but my best friend from first grade, we went through 12 years of Catholic schools together. We actually both went to the junior college in town and lived in town. And so we still, after high school, hung out. She is a dancer and an actress and was moving out here to pursue that. And she said, I need a roommate. You kind of talked about moving out here and, you know, I can't afford it. I was the biggest as you got from my dad in the restaurant, I couldn't even go to a cousin's house for a few days. You know, my dad would be calling my aunt going, is she okay? They go, yeah, I think she's okay. She'll, she'll probably last one more day. I mean, I'm talking about in, you know, 12 years, 13 years old. This is not a little girl. This, I mean, I'm a little girl, but I couldn't bear the thought of leaving and thinking you're not going to be home for birthdays and maybe not holidays. And how are you going to leave and not be seeing your family for everything that's happening and missing everything. And I committed to my friend for six months. I said, I'll pay six months rent. And I thought, you can do anything for six months. This um, is absolutely true that I was inspired to move here because of an ABBA song. Oh, wow. And I tell my family that. (laughs) Do tell. The song is called Departure. And it's a song about leaving your hometown. I was living in Mount Pleasant, Michigan, which is where I was going to college. And I listened to that song over and over and over again, I would not have moved had it not been for that song. I wonder, it's frightening leaving now, if that's the right thing. I wonder, it scares me, but who am I if I don't even try? I'm not a coward. You know, I'll be strong. One chance in a lifetime, it can't be wrong. Those are the lyrics. I would not have done it if it weren't for that song. I wouldn't have done it if it weren't for my brother living out here and, and of course, my best friend being roommates. And I didn't go home for holidays or anything for two years. And had you told me that before, I would not have left. Regardless of the song, I would not have left Michigan. How was that? Not going home. 
Different people would come out and visit. But in 1980, I got hired by Continental Airlines, like 81. I started flying for Continental. So I'd been here a couple of years. And then as a result of flying, I was working all the holidays. So I wouldn't get to go home, but I would go home before or after. But I didn't uh, I didn't go home for Christmas for many years. Wow. Which was really weird for That's me. That's so, yeah. yeah. And yeah. is your roommate still here? She's still here. We're still friends. We don't see each other as often as we like. She was She married about 20 years ago, but we lived together for the first few years. Wow. Yeah. That took a lot of nerve. I would tell my nieces, I have young nieces, and, and I would always say, just do it because you can always go back. You don't have to stay. You don't have to stay. I'm living proof of that. And I was the biggest baby. I was the biggest homesick person, you know. <laughs> in your checkered you know, movement here from the Midwest mm-hmm. to California, moving in with a roommate, following your path, working for the airlines, and then working for the guy in Santa Monica to being interviewed by Variety and The Hollywood Reporter for being the most powerful woman in your job in <laughs> Beverly Hills is a big, you know, that's a extremely glittered, you know, career. It's sort of like, how did that happen? Yeah, so how did that happen? Like I said, I kind of take for granted sometimes what I do because I feel like there's a part of me that thinks if I'm doing it, anybody could probably do it. But then I realize really that's not true. I know that, you know, not everybody could do it. The people that come in, I always say I don't have power. There's a perceived power that I have, but I facilitate the needs of powerful people. There are people that, Rebecca being one of them, you know, these top power <laughs> <so> financial <laughs> people in the the money power people, you know. Then there, But there's, you know, there are agents and producers and egos. Egos and all of these things. And it's a really fine line because sometimes there is something that's so important to somebody because they're trying to make a deal with somebody and they have to make an impression on this person that they're coming with. And For whatever reason, it is perceived that you're a great success and that you must be doing something right if you get a booth at the grill. And I have a hard time not doing that for somebody. You know, if somebody says, you have to understand, this is a deal breaker for me, blah, 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 you know, whatever it is, and it's important, I'll commit to it, especially when it's in advance. Sometimes it's a day or two and I go, oh my gosh, we're already kind of at that place where I don't, I can't do a booth. But if somebody calls me a week or two in advance, I'm going to make that happen for them because... First of all, I don't want to be perceived as having this power to not do it in something that is so important to you. And in some cases, you're so happy that you did it because it throws a wrench in the day, perhaps, because on the day I'm usually going, oh, my gosh, I promised this and I, I can't back out now. I can't back out now. You know, because I'm not going to back out. How do you handle if you, I mean, you obviously want to help them. And you have a lot of other people, obviously, that are coming in and wanting to have their booths. How That's do you, like, how do you well, handle? The beauty of being there as long as I've been there, I've been there 16 years. There are situations where people will call maybe on the same day. And normally, even on the same day, they're going to get a booth because they've been coming for 25, 30 years. And I always say, I can't fight City Hall. But there are those times, and it could be a big producer, it could be whatever the situation, whoever whoever they are, but I will just say, you know I always give you a booth. Today's one of those days I just kind of like, the booth's got away from me today. I've got a nice one. I call it, in real estate terms, I call it booth adjacent. (laughs) I said I have one right next to... (laughs) 
so Steve Shapiro from West Side Realty, he loves that. He goes, he heard me say it one day. He goes, that's a good one. But it's right next to the booth. Very quiet. I say, please trust. And they do. Then they say to their people, yeah, we always get a booth. We just called today. So this is cool. You know, they kind of defend the action to their guest. So they're with you. They're not. But if it wasn't me at the door and it may be the person that is my replacement for that day, they may get more upset because their fear is that what if this person doesn't ever give me a booth? They think it's okay today. And I know that if I did it one day and they maybe call in two weeks, I'm not going to do it the next day. I can't do it two or three times in a row because then they're going to get nervous. They're going to think, okay, wait, now she thinks I'm okay not sitting in the booth. So I'm never, now I'm not going to get one just because she's busy today. I rotated a little bit. Really, most people are really nice because in the end, they know it's only food. And then what will happen is a booth will get up and I'll say, I think I'm going to go move them. And someone working with me said, they look like they're fine. I go, but you know what? I'm going to offer it. Yeah. I'm going to offer it. And then I go to the table and I'll say, this booth that I had planned for you, but they kind of lingered a little longer, just got up. Because it was kind of my plan, but they stayed maybe 10 minutes too long. So now you're in a table. And I offer them the choice. I said, if you're good here, that's cool, but I can, I'll can i get that set right away. And it's 50-50. Sometimes they'll say, hey, let's get the booth. And I'll say, you know, thanks, and get it set up real quick and move them over. And sometimes they go, you know, we're fine here. I go, okay, cool. And then, uh, But at least I've extended that offer so that they know that I'm still thinking about them and kind of feeling like I feel bad that I couldn't give you the booth today. It's a relationship. It's mm-hmm. a, yeah, because you really, yeah, and it's really juggling. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. again, they like me enough. Most people, they trust me. Because they know I know who they are. They know that if I didn't give them a booth that day, generally they look around the room and they go, oh, yeah, I see why we didn't get a booth today. Right. <laughs> they see who's there. Right. And what and do you do outside of your day job? I'm really looking for a life. I really am very low-key on my days off. I work out. I have a trainer. I actually like to cook for myself. I cook almost every day. It's not creating necessarily, but I'll I'll have maybe bring something home from the grill and I have them, you know, half cook it and then I'll heat it up at home, you know, kind of. Mm-hmm. But I but I like to have meals in my apartment. I live in Santa Monica. I go for walks. It's an interesting I, comment, though, to say I'm looking for a life because it's true. You know, we all get to be, and all of us in this room have achieved a level of success both personally and, and professionally. I was the general manager at the grill up until about a year and a half ago. Right. Reluctantly, they sort of said, tag, you're it, because the other general manager left, and I never wanted to do it because I said, I don't want to be crunching numbers up in the office or worrying about budgets and payroll. I want to be a maitre d'. And so they agreed to let me be the maitre d' and be the general manager. Obviously, with Jeff, you know Jeff, yeah. um, the other manager, he's kind of always facilitated the paperwork and the, all that stuff anyway. But overseeing it all and being the one held accountable, I didn't want to do that. And now they have Giorgio is great. But I went from working 65, 70 hours a week because what I would accomplish by going in in the morning and running the door, then I would go upstairs in the office and have to get work done, the GM stuff that I had to oversee or make sure our schedules or whatever. And people would come upstairs at night. I'd been there since nine o'clock in the morning and they'd say, what? Why are you still here? Go home. I said, you know, I, I know when I can go home. I get a little defensive. Right. Trust me. I have to be here because I have to get this done. Then I'll go home. You know, and I was working so many hours and getting those phone calls when you weren't working, which is always fine. Even now I tell people, I don't care if I'm on vacation. If a quick text where I can answer a quick question about something, I'm happy to do that. That's not a problem. That we went through a renovation and we did all these things during my tenure as a general manager. So it was really stressful. I went from that to working less. Less than 40 hours a week. 
and people laugh because I say I feel like I'm working half time. I say, How many hours <laughs> you work? Forty. They're like, That's a full time job. No, you don't understand. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's like a part time job, and I don't have to be there till nine, but I get there at eight thirty because I like that half hour of working on things that I can get done. So therefore, I'm able to leave at three thirty or four. So you the, did this by design because I'm sure they probably would have preferred you stayed in the job that you had. Yes, but it's a little difficult because as the general manager, there are meetings and things that help to bring people into the restaurant aside from taking care of them once they're there. And the beauty of now Giorgio, he's a member of the chamber and he they have meetings at 12 o'clock or luncheons. And I said, you can't go to a luncheon at 12 o'clock when you're the maitre d'. And my choice is always, I want to be the maitre d'. If I'm not the maitre d' at this restaurant, I don't even want to be in a restaurant. I'll do something else with my life because this is what I want to do. Get your juices flowing. Yes. That, that... And going to conferences and meetings off property. And I used yeah. to laugh because they'd say all the general managers have to go to this meeting in Burbank and it's from uh, 12 to 3 on a Tuesday. And I looked at him, I go, 12 to 3 on a Tuesday? Do they not have any lunch business in these restaurants? Right. So I would fortunately got out of it because they'd say, no, she has to be at the restaurant to run the grill. You know, she has to do the door. So it's great. It's a it's a win-win situation. So now you have all this extra time. How does that feel? Is it a little unsettling? Is it's, it, um... it's the most liberating, <laughs> freeing. Awesome. Uh, oh my gosh. I am the happiest person. Not only do I have this job that I love, people would say, what would you do if you won the lottery? I go, well, I'd maybe cut down, like work nine to three instead of like <laughs> staying till five. Or maybe I cut out, because I, I do work all the holidays. I run the Mother's Day because I'm considered the number one maitre d. So there's a guy that works dinners. Hector works five nights a week dinners and I do the lunches. But I also do the holidays because I've been there the longest. They're challenging. And everybody's thrilled that I will do it because who else wants to work Christmas Eve? I'm like, I'll work Christmas Eve. That's fine. Mother's Day, Father's Day, you know, and all these New Year's Eve. And But aside from that, working the Monday through Friday, it's some semblance of having a life. I'm trying to read more because I've never been a big reader I'm trying to read more. A lot of our guests are authors and novelists, and I get signed books from people, you know. And Jonathan Kellerman is a suspense writer. He Mm -hmm. comes in all the time with his wife, Faye. And he gave me a copy of this book, and it took me almost a year to read it. Boy, am I glad I read it. Besides, I was looking forward to doing it. I read it on one of my vacations, and he mentions the grill twice in it. Oh, So I was able to say, oh, I thought, because if I hadn't read it, he would know. You know what I mean? It's like, you're not going to fake that. And so I said, oh, my gosh, you mentioned it here, and then you mentioned going to dinner. And, then, and so he knew I read it, and I was thrilled to be able to tell him that. Right. Because I actually sat down and focused, and right. I'm very high energy. I would tend to, you know, organize something rather than sit down and just read a book. I'd feel like, oh, if there's dishes to be done, I better do the dishes and not read right now. Working at a place like The Grill, it's very much about knowing who people are and knowing where they sit. And you also have to know who's no longer business partners or marital <laughs> I partners. I thought about that, right. Or it's like a demi-mont that you live inside. It's, it's really like, and people look at me sometimes, because I will tell everybody I work with, I, I mean, the managers, I'll say, oh my God, blah, 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 this person can't sit here. And they kind of look at me, but <laughs> I sort of tell them, especially the newer managers, like I want them to kind of know that this is a valuable thing. Like don't think anybody can just do this job. Right. Because sometimes I think people think anybody could do that job. And, you know, people make reference to why Why are you so stressed out? You're going to do 140 today. We did 500 in Vegas last week in this restaurant. And I go, I could do 500 with one hand tied behind my back. <laughs> if, you don't, if it doesn't matter where they sit, a table gets up, you seat another table, a table gets up. But I am focused on it's 1130 and I've got 14 booths in this restaurant. 
And on most days, I have 20 people booked that are required booths. So now you do the math. You know, your first stressful. the first thing you do, you're counting up to you're counting up to 14. Yeah. And then now you're counting up to 20. Now you're counting back to 14. Now Rebecca gets a booth 90% of the time, but there, but you also I know we tease and joke, but I know she's not gonna be like, I'm not coming because I don't get a booth today. Because I'm gonna give her not. a nice table next right. to the booths. There are people that have told me. If you don't have a booth for me, let me know because I will go somewhere else. And I'm totally okay with it. And so there are a handful of people. I have it in their notes. I'll say, by the way, I'd love to see you. And it's a possibility that the booth will happen. But I'm not going to know until you get here. How do you stay on top of the interpersonal relationships? A lot of it I remember. The computer system that we use nowadays, where it used to all have to be in your head. And I only wish that I had created this system because I did this. I did this system since I waited tables. When I waited tables and I had regulars that came in, like Rebecca would come in and she'd like whatever kind of drink or whatever with a twist. And I had notes. I had copious notes that I took as a waitress so that if I waited on these people, I would know, okay, so Bombay Sapphire straight up with a twist and blah, 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 and olive juice on the side and whatever it was. And they go, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Well, I had it written down. Ultimately, you remember it, but the first couple of times you write it down. But an open table, our system that we have, there, there's a place for notes that would indicate like the situation of be sure to let him know if her, him or her know if you don't have a booth because he would rather not come. But what about, oh, I just, he's separated now. So, or, you know, oh, those or kinds those of things, part, those kinds, those of, kinds things. of things, that's tricky because I have to keep up on, you know, Variety and and Hollywood Reporter, <laughs> yeah, Variety, Los Angeles yeah. Business Journal, and People Magazine, yeah. and TMZ. I mean, <laughs> yeah, Hollywood but, you know, you're watching the, everything, you go, and ooh, and I'll say to somebody, how do you know that? I go, I saw it on TMZ last night. Oh, my God, they can't be. Or other people telling me things about people, like they might hear a rumor, and I go, oh, okay. But I've learned not to say unless I am absolutely 100% positive. I do not say, say hi to so-and-so for me Mm -hmm. because I've done that. And they say, oh, we're not speaking anymore or we broke up or that's over. And so you have to be very careful. And a lot of times with relationship, I try to not necessarily get their partner's name because if they're not partners, I'm not saying now if they're with someone else a year later and they I don't remember what the person looked like. Oh, it's Lisa, right? No, no, that was the old girlfriend. It's Sue. (laughs) So I don't want to know those things. You know what I mean? It's like you're almost better off not knowing, and so you kind of do this little. Have I? We met before, right? Some of yeah, the, I met you last. And then I'm Sue. And then you go, okay, good. You know, it, it, but I kind of <laughs> do. You have these ways of saying we met before, right? You know, but I'm not sure. You know exactly. Some but, of it's instinctive, right? Like in the sense of like knowing when somebody's a wife. Like you were talking about the writer and his wife. So like you know who she is. Yes. But then there's this other time where it's like mm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too attached to that yes. person because I don't know. Yes. Yeah. And if they're not there enough for me to know, I read the obituaries. Yeah. That's the first thing I do in the morning. People say, "You read the obituaries? That's so depressing." I said, "It's not really depressing, but it is a it's a thing that I need to know because if I ask somebody, "How's your wife?" and well, she died two weeks ago, I should know that, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I extend, then I make a phone call to say I heard about. Yes. You know, her passing. When I was just over and above, as you're talking about that level of excellence of saying, I really care about what's going on with my clientele, and I'm going to do this extra information gathering. You know, I'm knowledgeable and I know what's going on. It's about them feeling comfortable mm-hmm. and feeling safe. You know, you, you make reference to the girlfriends and the wives or whatever. It's rare at the grill. 
it's not that yeah, kind it's of place. It's such a public which is good. place, yeah. it, it, and it is such a kind of a business kind of thing. Yeah. It's, it's like they might take the girlfriends to catch or something. Yeah, I see not. that more at Medeo's than I do, or, or Medeo's yeah. or someplace like that. But um, a lot of that you know, some people will come in and, and be sure to say, you know, by the way, I'm coming with my wife tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> her name is okay cool you know and I act, okay cool right. and I act like I don't know whoever that other person was, if it was your, you know whoever it was I didn't even think about it, whether it was not your wife or you know somebody that you shouldn't have been with you so know. let's go back because we didn't finish this but you decided to step down from being the GM mm-hmm. and you decided to have a life you're doing that now and you're figuring out what it is so what is interesting to you outside of there besides the cooking and you know the things that you do your hikes what else do you have you found that's interesting to you what I'd like to do is get some sort of a hobby whether it was um, pottery or painting photography that kind yeah of thing. and I'm not very artistic in that way but the other thing is I live in Santa Monica I'm one block from the Broad theater the ED Eli and Edie Eli Broad, and, yeah. Broad. It, and I think you know sometimes I should to just walk down there and see if there's even one seat. Because I'd love to go to art galleries or I'd love to go to museums. And I tend to not do it just because of the logistics in LA. And I'm trying to get past that. There's now a train, you know, the metro from right. Santa Monica to you can get downtown now. It's fantastic doing that. It's fantastic. And, and a theater it. even just, you know, and movies, I don't go to movies as much as I used to go to movies all the time. And now movies are sort of like at the time where I'm maybe I'm already going to be falling asleep or, you know, I Mm-hmm. Yeah, plus you can watch them so on Amazon or Netflix. You can watch them on- <laughs> so being single and, you know, having this extra time, what does community mean to you now? I go back to sort of being, I don't know if I said I was antisocial, but you I'm kind shy. of antisocial you and said shy. shy. I really like my alone time, partly because I'm still working, but I get this feeling of, okay, you're going to retire someday. I would probably do something like work with kids or even the elderly, maybe work in a place where I can do either volunteer or work part-time, some kind of service like that, that would be maybe get involved in a charity. But right now I'm sort of really protective of my alone time. My favorite weekend is having no plans. I have a hard time making plans because I really don't know how I'm going to feel because I'm so social at work and you're talking to people all the time. And on the weekends, I really like to just, I I have my hair appointments, my nail appointments, my workout appointment, (laughs) and my very selfish, but but it's 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 really beautiful because you're doing self-care. You're taking care of people all week. And I really do try yeah. to take care of myself on the weekends. It's a really, and really, really healthy, decompress. good thing to do. You could be a, um, like, a restaurant whisperer. My husband and I eat at regularly. I can't remember anybody that stands out to me as having done such a good job as you do in so your nice. job. Thank you. And it's, yeah. it's job security. So yeah. Leanne and I would like one of those booths for Monday. At <laughs> 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 Pam, thank you so much. Thank you really. so thank much. You. So great. much fun. Really. So much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Next time on Say It Forward, you're going to meet producer, actor, Jeffrey Kramer. He grew up on the East Coast, and after moving to Hollywood, he made his first TV appearance on the TV show Barney Miller. He achieved notoriety playing Deputy Jeff Hendricks in the Oscar-winning horror thriller smash hit movie Jaws. He then reprised that role in the sequel Jaws 2, and in that one he became the chief of police. He went on to appear in the Joe Dante cult classic Hollywood Boulevard. He was also in the horror film Halloween 2 and the ensemble black comedy mystery film Clue. 
Jeffrey has appeared in several television series, including Laverne and Shirley, The Mary Tyler Moore Show, Chico and the Man, and MASH. He's an executive producer. He's won three Emmy Awards, three Golden Globes, the Producers Guild Producer of the Year Award, two Peabody Awards, and the Silver Gavel. In his charitable work, he co-founded the Tourette Syndrome Association's Champion of Children Dinner, and he now serves on the national board of the Tourette Syndrome Alliance. So join us as we rewind to the beginning with Jeffrey Kramer, my longtime friend, on the next Say It Forward. Thanks for listening to Say It Forward. Help us grow by subscribing to our podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or at www.sayitforwardpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us on the iTunes store or like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Instagram.